Welcome back to Public Health Plus, the show after the show. I'm MJ. And I'm Cass. Okay, so this is going to get like really spicy. So while it it is the bonus, we also don't want to like blow up the episode. <laughs> so having a conversation about crime is particularly difficult precisely because it is a complicated concept and precisely because a lot of people have mixed feelings about crime and criminals. I think saying that people have mixed feelings on crime and criminals is not totally no, accurate. No, yeah. I think there are a lot of people who think criminals are less than human people, or not even people, just less than human, who deserve to be punished to the fullest extent of whatever right. is available, and that folks who are in this group labeled as criminals really just deserve everything that they get as a result. So maybe a lot of hatred. People don't have mixed feelings. Is that collectively there is a a wide range of perception? There we go. There's a very broad spectrum of how people perceive absolutely the issue of crime. I'm sure you have talked to a lot of people in Baltimore, or perhaps not. Right, I have talked to people in Baltimore where they're like, man, there's just so many. For example, in my neighborhood, there's a lot of package thefts, right? So, and people on Facebook or people in person to me, they will be like, "Man, they need to just really crack down on this." They have a really、uh, antagonizing view of crime, right? And I could kind of understand where they're coming from because it's very frustrating to have your things stolen, right? And but the topic of today's bonus is what tough on crime really means. And what is that term? Dog whistle? Yeah, yeah. So this is code, I believe. Right? You correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not as politically savvy as you. I believe tough on crime is code for basically punishing a particular group of people. Well, I think we can get more specific than that, right? Like <laughs>、yeah. we've talked, we've talked about the new Jim Crow, Michelle Alexander's book, several times before, and really the war on drugs and the war on crime. Were ways for politicians to sell racist practices, racist policies as race neutral, because the the laws don't say we are going to sort of only focus on black and brown individuals, but in practice, that's where our resources are placed. And you know, as the the civil rights era and a recognition that. We couldn't explicitly have racist policies in the U.S. Right, those Jim Crow laws. Folks got really savvy and removed race from the from paper, right? From the policies, but used race in practice, and that's why she refers to it as the new Jim Crow because this really is targeting black and brown. Communities, black and brown men in particular, but women as well, obviously,、um, and that this like tough on crime to me means. Trying to police every aspect of the lives of Black and Brown individuals to to try to keep them in their place, put them in their place. Yeah, and all these things about mandatory minimums and broken window policing, the bastardized version. What do you think that does to people? Like, what do you think these mandatory minimums? Like, I know I've heard a story, and this is a true story. I'm pretty sure I'm telling it poorly, but there was a black kid, and、uh, he needed a ride from somewhere. And then、uh, he, his cousin or whatever, right? His friends or cousin who are older than him said, "Hey, hop in a car. We'll give you a ride." And then he fell asleep in the back of the car. But the people in the front seat they stopped by to go break into a house and rob someone. And he fell asleep in the back of the seat, and he was just like getting a lift. And they all got arrested. 
And the two people on the stand, the two people in the front seat, they're like, yeah, he has nothing to do with this. We're just giving him a lift. Like we robbed the house. And then a witness testimony and the kid in the backseat fell asleep and got five years. Yeah. And it's what, <laughs> what do you think that does to someone's mind, especially a young person's mind when they go through that? You know, um, so I, anytime we're talking about tough on crime, so mandatory minimums is part of it, but you also can't have this conversation without talking about three strikes laws mm-hmm. and sort of like if you have two prior convictions of a right. certain sort of category Degree or whatever or something right yeah and you get a third that is mandatory life in prison because you you are you know three strikes you're out kind of thing right which is really dumb and stupid but yeah continue it is and it ignores again the structures that we have created through our policy choices through our investment and sort of the the racist structures that we've put into place um, it ignores these pieces and the lack of agency that folks have. Again, not to totally negate individual accountability, because yes, there are some people who are just doing just bad things, do crime, right? right? Like the, and they they might just be harming people, and so not to not to minimize those harms in any way. But you know, when we're talking about somebody who doesn't know where their next meal is going to come. And so they're committing an armed robbery to try to find a little bit of money to try to get some food for themselves, for their families, their siblings. You know, what does that mean? I think all the time about my nephew. So my nephew had lots of younger siblings. The kids were in and out of foster care by the time he was sort of old enough to help out as an older teenager. And he regularly would have to steal food from the local grocery store or grocery stores because he had I don't know, six or seven younger siblings sort of from his, no food, his mom's right. side. So it's my brother's son, but on his mom's side, the mom had many more children and they didn't have any food. And the mom, when they got their, their food benefits or their, you know, temporary assistance for needy families, these pieces, she would go off and, and do whatever and, and had a substance use issue again, not to minimize the impacts of that, right. but leaving these kids with no choices. Now, my nephew lived in a predominantly white suburban ish area and i don't know that he ever got caught for that but you put him as a a young black male in an area like baltimore you know the very same behaviors where he's trying to feed himself or his family he would have been arrested for and had he done it enough times it could have you know resulted in some pretty significant mandatory minimums so all that is to say there's a really long winded (laughs) story but all of that is to say like where we prioritize our criminal law enforcement and our sort of where we're spending our time says a lot about what we mean and we prioritize our criminal response and activities in black and brown communities to sort of further oppress and disenfranchise these communities and these individuals. And I never understood three strike laws because Oh yeah, that's where I started. I got I got I, t- I took us a long right. and twisty way away from my first but point. But no, no, I think it's a great I'm so glad you brought it up because three strike law doesn't make sense to me because we don't have a restorative system. We don't have a rehabilitate. The only place, the only universe where three strikes law would make sense if you give people the resources. Okay, we're going to set you up for success. Like you you came in but we're restorative, we're rehabilitating, we're set you up for success, you all these social programs. In that universe, maybe a three strikes would make sense. But we currently don't have that system. We're just like, all right, here you go, back out into the streets. And then and then it's, anyway, people, get, you can look up horror stories. People get maximums for the stupidest things. Yeah, and three strikes laws also ignore a really important sort of perspective in criminology, which is that many folks age out of crime yes. and violence as they get older, right? But three strikes laws 
totally ignores that. So let's say you were um, incarcerated for two violent crimes when you were in your early 20s. If then in your 50s or 60s, you get caught, you know, maybe you, I don't know, you did something and and you were arrested for that. <laughs> that same, like those two from 40 years ago. Still counts for some reason. Those still count. And so then you could spend the rest of your life in jail. And it's just, it's a very frustrating system. Right. <laughs> and I really appreciate your point, MJ, about like, okay, in a perfect world where when you violate the law, you actually go through a restorative justice process. And if you do, and then if you violate the law again, like, okay, then then maybe this is a broader issue. So I'm not an expert on restorative justice. There are some fantastic books and folks who study this, but individuals, both victims and perpetrators of violence who go through a restorative justice process, both feel better because victims basically have no say in what happens to the perpetrator in a crime, right? And perpetrators, we have a, a system where it is, you know, you're innocent until you're proven guilty which I'm not saying in any way that we should get rid of that but at every step in the process you know people are often claiming or pleading not guilty then they go to jail for something and there's the system is I plead not guilty and I appeal at no point do I ever really acknowledge and take accountability for what I did, which is really like in direct contrast to what is effective in the restorative justice literature. Yeah, we'll do an episode on restorative justice for sure. So the point that I want to wrap on for this bonus, like what tough on crime really means, is that tough on crime means tough on a very specific type of crime. We don't see tough on crime on embezzlement. Right. We don't see tough on crime on white collar crimes. Fraud. Right. Like it's I would love I would love if someone were tough on crime on white collar stuff. I would love that because there are some numbers that says white collar crime arguably costs way more money than all these uh petty crimes combined. Like there's a this statistic is sometimes disputed, but so take this with a grain of salt, but the type of theft that costs us the most is wage theft. Yeah. It's not shoplifting theft, right? So wage theft meaning you did overtime, but you didn't get paid. Or uh, I'm sure there are other examples. That's the only example I come up with. Or or you, you know, there's there's a horrible story of Mm -hmm. a restaurant where workers, right? So in, in many states, servers, like restaurant servers, make less than minimum wage because yes. the expectation is that they Tip. earn more money with tips yeah, that will bring them up to up, right? sort of the minimum wage, which, yeah, putting that, putting the awfulness of that policy aside for a moment. But there have been terrible stories of these. So women in particular working as servers, you know, they might be making $2 an hour and then they're, they're given tips, but the restaurant owner takes the tips and keeps them for himself as opposed to them going to the workers. Exactly. And so that I just wanted to give another example. Of- yeah. Thank you for that. But I would love to see tough on crime on wage theft. I would love to see tough on crime on fraud. I would love to see tough on crime on Ponzi schemes and pyramid schemes. Right? But then we would have to prioritize our law enforcement <laughs> strategies on white males who oh, are no. Oh, no, the horror. predominantly the folks who are you know right i'm just i'm gonna i'm just gonna leave that hanging there so (laughs) yeah so if you want to say tough on crime uh make sure it's tough on all crimes i guess including the ones that we don't really talk about or as opposed to saying tough on crime maybe we say let's focus on accountability for crime and have processes like restorative justice that actually do hold people accountable and really give victims of those crimes a voice. And as always, as we say in pretty much any topic that we discuss, never trust anybody who has a simple solution to a complex problem, right? Tough on crime. It it sounds great. (laughs) Uh, It sounds like a simple solution. It is just crap. 
Yeah. <laughs> I was going to try to say something more eloquent, but it's just yeah. crap. Be more public health. We need complex and multiple layer solution to a complex problem. Thanks for listening to Public Health Plus, the show after the show. You can expect these more spicy and opinionated episodes every Monday. If you like the show, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast. It really does help us immensely. And spread the word about the show. As always, join us on Thursday for our main episodes. And remember, everything is public health. Everything is public health.